0: To X-rated rated movies. movies I'm one half of your hosting team Matthew Fisher I'm the other half of your hosting team Ryan Whedon and we are two guys that used to date and now we don't now, now we... we talk about movies you just stepped all over my line there uh, you gotta go to work <laughs> you're right we gotta get this going with us all the way from Chicago Illinois are the piece of pie podcast you can't
1: tell but I was doing my Nancy Pelosi
2: <laughs> oh. <laughs> thanks for coming on our silly little show yeah, thanks for having us. We've had movie podcasters before, and we've had queers on our podcast
1: before, but I don't
2: think we've had uh, people that embody both before.
1: Excellent. We're breaking barriers. And we're very body ody with it, I guess.
0: <laughs> <laughs> so, uh, James and I, James being one half of the Piece of Pie podcast, okay. actually know each other, IRL. Mm-hmm. I met him at uh the bar Our Place in two thousand seven. Uh-huh. Yep. He got dragged up uh uh to be like a contestant in uh sort of the the uh it's a drag show, but they have like a talent portion with members <laughs> from the audience of uh lashes back when it was on Sunday nights. Oh, okay. And uh part of the competition was to dance. And yep. it's well documented on this podcast my uh, affection for dancers. <laughs> and sounds like he did a good job then. Yeah, he did an all right job, and I think I approached him in the men's room. <laughs> you sure did.
3: <laughs> As I was trying desperately to get like the eyeliner off of my eyes.
2: <laughs> <laughs> James, I'd love to hear your perspective on uh, on this night.
3: Yeah, it was. Uh... It was pretty fantastic. It was a—it uh, was my first time in Seattle, actually, my first visit to Seattle when I graduated college, and um, I was visiting with some friends from high school uh, who had uh, moved to Seattle a couple of years earlier, and so they took me to the show. And I think Lady Chablis was the host. Then. That
0: it still is. still, oh. still is.
3: <laughs> and I was just like into it. It was a great night. And of course, you know, when they said, whose first time is it here? And I drunkenly threw my hand up. I did not think about what I was getting myself into. But uh, that's how they get you. Yeah. It was, uh, I got very lucky. They gave me shoop to dance to. Hey,
4: yeah, I want a shoop, baby.
3: And then Matt, sure enough, did come up and uh, approach me in the bathroom. I believe what he said is, I have to meet you. <laughs>
2: And, Typical uh, Matt. Yeah,
3: and it was like, uh, sh- sure, yeah, let's do this. Uh, it was You're a... a really good dancer. Thank like... you. Thank you.
1: I don't know if I've ever seen you dance.
3: <laughs> I'm a private dancer. These <laughs>
0: <times>. <laughs> <laughs> so I visited James in Chicago because I have family in Chicago, and right after James was out here, I was like, you know, I need a vacation. James is in Chicago, I have family in Chicago, I'm gonna go out there to Chicago, and I just want to illustrate what a different landscape (laughs) Chicago is from the rest of the world, so like, no town drinks liquor like Chicago does. <laughs> and, like, true. I'm still, like, I still have a hangover from it. Like, <laughs> I got off the plane and there was a liquor stand, like, right in... Like the gate there,
2: uh, <laughs> they hand you the airplane-sized ones as you walk off. Yeah, like, pretty much. Here's your malort. <laughs> but <Yep>. uh,
0: <laughs>
1: Oh lord, did you have
2: malort
3: when you were here? Why <laughs> are you shot malort? Yeah. I don't know. I feel like you would remember it. It's like spiderwebs and sadness. <laughs> 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 it's revolting. Yeah. It's
0: okay. <laughs> James took me, like, out dancing one night, and, like, it started at, like, some... I think it was a club that specialized in, like, 80s music, or it was an 80s night? One yeah, the two. I
3: took you to Neo, which, uh, oh my like, God. sadly, sadly, is no longer there. It's not, that sad. Oh. It's not that sad.
0: <laughs> <laughs> I love Neo. Yeah, I hated that place. <laughs> but it was all just, like, Depeche Mode and The Cure and Sisters of Mercy all night, then you took me to some place to get, like, burgers or fries or something where, like, the <laughs> staff there just, like, shit-talked me and uh, was, like, <laughs>
4: insulting
3: me. I remember, okay, so I remember this so clearly. So I took you, the name of the place is The Wiener Circle. Yeah. And after <laughs> 11 p.m., and I think we left Neo at, like, 3 in the morning, so it was, like, mm-hmm. late. mm mm-hmm. uh, Uh, after 11 p.m if you go there the expectation is that you will (laughs) swear your order at the people who are working there and then the women will throw it right back to you so it becomes this like (laughs) everybody's screaming at each other yes everybody's screaming at each other and getting more and more profane as they go along and i remember matt (laughs) you didn't down you like didn't floor. tell me
0: that that was like the gimmick. Yeah.
1: Well, that's the thing is you don't tell people that it's no. a gimmick. You yeah. you just take them there. Yeah, like it's like it's like malort. Like you don't hand someone malort and tell them that it tastes like spiderwebs and sadness. <laughs> yeah. You just hand it to them and they do the shot and they regret it. Yeah. Yeah. Like,
0: it's the same thing. With the God, circle. Yeah. <laughs> well, James is telling this like woman that like she's the product of fetal alcohol syndrome. <laughs> <laughs> and I'm like what are you doing she's just trying to make an honest living but then she starts yelling at James and I'm like I I don't know how this went south so quickly why are you guys fighting
3: (laughs) (laughs) But <laughs> well, I just remember you were trying to order after I did, because of course I was going to make you do it, right? And <laughs> yeah. She's like waiting for you to like flip that shit oh, back. Sh- and she's you were, like, chewing me out, it. yeah. And she's like, Did you want some motherfucking fries with that? <laughs> <laughs> like, just trying to egg you on to get you there. It was so funny. <laughs>
0: Talented Mr. Ripley from 19... I didn't look up the 99. Year. <laughs> Brian, I think you were the one that suggested it, or you threw out a bunch of suggestions. Yes. And we whittled it down to this one. Yes.
1: I actually really like this movie. It came out in, I think, 99. Did we 99. Did we establish? Yeah. 99. Well, I think it's 99. Yeah. Okay. So I would have been 18 years old, probably 19, depending on the time of year. Um, and it was just a really sort of eye opening movie as someone who is finally coming to Chicago and like living as a gay man to see a movie with a queer villain led by recent Oscar nominee, Matt Damon. I mean, granted it's a, he's an awful person, but <laughs> it was such a gay movie and I loved it.
0: I mean, he's sort of like the hero and the villain in one. Yeah. I, when I was watching this last night and like he was like playing the piano, I was like, "Oh fuck, he's just fucking Goodwill Hunting all over again." <laughs> <laughs> like he's actually a piano virtuoso. When the janitor comes on, he's like, "What are you doing?"
2: <laughs> sorry, sorry.
0: I was like, ah, oh, he can't shake that Goodwill Hunting
3: until the scene on the boat. <laughs> right? Yeah, so like I realized that I have never actually seen this movie all the way through. I have seen so many chunks of it until I watched it, you know, for this episode. And I think I had a very different reaction than most people do to this movie. I was just, I I had a very 2019 reaction to this movie, which is a non-gay man is, is directing this and adapting it. And the gay man is explicitly a gay man. And he's the villain, and he's a psychopath, and he's obsessed with one guy, and so he can't have him, and you know, of course, has to kill the one nice gay person he meets. And I, so, like, this movie made me want to jump out of my skin, but not because it was tense, but because I was like, "Do not do that. This is creepy. <laughs> Don't fucking like. I cannot watch this. It's so uncomfortable and awkward." So, I mean, I think that's got some really excellent performances, and I really like a lot of the movie, and Jude Law's ass is very good. Oh, Ooh, this, this tan is hand lines? Oh, yeah. Jude Law. Peak Jude Law. Peak Jude Law. Definitely. Peak. Um, <laughs> it also reminded me that, like, you know, Philip Seymour Hoffman, the greatest role he ever played was just as a creep, because, God, yeah. he's so fucking creepy.
0: Like, I feel especially at this time, Philip Seymour Hoffman was sort of typecast as the creep. Because, yeah. like, didn't, like, uh, Todd Salon's Happiness come out, like, a year before yeah. this? Oh, my yeah. God. And that movie
3: is so... Oh, my God.
0: <laughs> and it's, like, he, he can play sympathetic, like, later in his career. He he really did, like, success. Like, Key, uh, New York. Like, he plays sympathetic really well. But, like, there, yeah, between, like, 96 to, like, 2004, he was... Kind of playing
1: creepazoids. Yeah, for sure. In this though, he's on to He's the only one that figures out what Matt Damon is up to, what Tom Ripley is up to, and mm. like, yeah, he's kind of like this like bro like dude, but he, it's one of them one of his more likable characters from that period, I would say.
4: Yeah, <laughs> but,
2: he's a little douchey, but he's I, yeah, yeah. I do like fun too, if if you're yeah, like yeah. He's like a jazz him.
1: fiend, and you know, he's just gonna go to the bars and get drunk and listen to music and live his life. He's a millionaire in the thirties in Italy.
0: <laughs> uh, he just seems like too much of a party boy. Like there's something about like the way that like he smiles at people that I'm like, Oh no, I can't hang around this guy for too long. Like, yeah.
3: Is he somebody that, like, I think uh, Kurt, uh, my husband, and I were talking about it when we were watching it the other night, and I was like, this is the person I needed at a party and then spend the rest of the party thinking about how I would drown this person <laughs> because I <laughs> don't want to interact with them anymore.
0: Like, I don't see the appeal to him as a friend, I guess, yeah. but, like, I also see how he would, like, weasel himself into, like, every social scenario. Like, he, he seems to have that, like, snake-like attribute to him um okay uh i'm sorry if you think that uh dickie is
2: fun then you're gonna think that uh what's his name's character is fun philip seymour hoffman's character they're Freddy? like the same person yeah except one's more attractive than the other
0: well yeah, yeah and the attractiveness goes a long way <laughs> <It> does, but... <laughs> that is so shallow <laughs> yeah that's the way the world works like jew law is like Bronzed and has the perfect amount of body hair and has tan lines in the perfect positions. <laughs> and yeah, Freddie is portly and, you know, staunchy and rubenesque. <laughs> and yeah, therefore he gets kicked to the sidelines
3: <laughs> Well, I think the thing for me too, about Dicky, right, is that, like he's somebody that, like is a character I find loathsome. But then he'll like stop and have these like moments. And it's sort of like I think how Gwyneth Paltrow's character Marge, I think, describes him in the movie. The
4: thing with Dickie it's like the sun
0: shines on you and it's glorious. And then he forgets you and it's very, very
3: cold. While I didn't like suddenly think like, oh god, he's suddenly an amazing person. I was like, I could see the attraction. Like he he had this kind of seductive personality in addition to being like smarmy, that I don't think Philip Seymour Hoffman's character Freddie, I think, Freddie, yeah, um, had. Like I just yeah. found him to be way more coarse and like just like gr- gross. Like in terms of the way he talked about women and yeah. talked about people, like he was. Abrasively unpleasant,
2: I found. <laughs> I guess yeah. We're we're introduced to him. His first line is like, "I mean, hey, if I'm late, think what her husband's saying." <laughs> <laughs> Pretty shitty. I guess you're right.
4: Yeah.
2: <laughs> but I mean, and I, I hear what you're saying about Dicky too, because like. There's a lot of loathsome things about him, but you kind of get it. Like, if he were to, like, shine his light on you, so to speak, you'd kind of melt. I mean, I would,
1: anyway.
0: Oh, 100%, yeah.
1: Especially with that Jude Law face. <laughs> oh, yeah, for sure. Yeah. Oh. Jude Law tan line. Period. <laughs> yeah. Accurate, I'm sure. Yeah.
0: I mean, even, like, we're introduced to Dickie, like, you know, fairly early on, and, like, it's really apparent that, like, he has a debilitating case of, like, rich kid syndrome, like... <laughs> you know, affluenza. Yeah. (laughs) (laughs) It doesn't take very long for you to be like, Oh yeah, this is like the most privileged white person we've ever seen in a movie. But like, we don't hate him, but I, you know, at least personally, it's because he's so attractive and charming. Like we let a lot go by because he looks like Jude law. He's got a perfect ass (laughs) and he likes the attention that we're giving him. Like, Uh The chess scene, like, he likes that attention.
3: Oh, for sure. I mean, there's even that moment where he, like, pouts, right? I'm cold. Can I get in? No. And then he has this, like, sort of, like, pouty sort of expression on his face, like, oh, well, fine. <laughs> and then he gets out of the tub, like, fuck you. <laughs> and yeah. Like, uh huh. I guess that's not how I read it.
1: Yeah, um, I've watched that scene, like I said, I watched it at a, an impressionable young, young age, and I watched <laughs> that particular scene um, on its own Often. for various reasons. <laughs> yeah, why we wouldn't you that's... rewind that? I mean, uh, yeah, exactly. for the
0: record, Ryan's touching himself an awful lot <laughs> while we're talking <laughs> about this scene. Seriously, I, I remember
2: the first time I saw this movie, which was like 12, 13 years ago, I remember... Rewinding him, like
0: hold up, and like and for
1: Balls t- Pinos yeah. <laughs> yes, yeah. Well, a we
0: we get the good silhouette of his ass, mm-hmm. like as he's getting out of the tub, like you get that like the the full curvature. Mm-hmm. But then like the the camera angle changes and it's like oh we get dong too, like yeah. he hangs dong for the movie. <laughs>
2: <laughs> and it's like an overhead shot looking down, which yeah, is yeah. like not typical, but I mean I'll take what I can get.
4: Oh exactly. for sure.
2: While we're on the topic of
1: Jude Law and his penis, um, <laughs> I feel like I've known guys like that who, oh, one hundred percent, just that charming yeah. and like when you are their friend, you feel like the most special person in the world, yeah. and then like when they're off seeing, hanging out with somebody else, it's like, oh fuck. <laughs> yeah.
0: I also like have straight male friends who are aware of their attractiveness. And will go to gay bars because they know that drinks will get bought for them and that they'll get attention, and they don't mind that kind of attention. Like, and Jude Law fits into that like demographic very well.
1: I think even as a real person, he probably because <laughs> oh, yeah. he's played gay and he's shown like he's he likes that attention too. He likes attention from from men and women. What movie was he gay in? Uh, Midnight in the Garden of Good and Evil
4: oh, oh okay. i haven't seen that movie right. in a long time that. yeah he's the he's
1: kevin spacey's gay lover and also wasn't he in um a movie about oscar wilde you're not thinking of dumbledore are you <laughs> <laughs> no i don't remember i'd have to look uh and yeah. i put my phone okay. but i feel like he's played gay before and other than just that
2: He's perfectly cast, though. Actually, the, the the cast in this movie
0: is insane. Also, like, for being so young, like, the cast is insanely good. Because, like, yeah, Jude Law and Matt Damon. Like, Matt Damon had to lose, like, what was it, 30 pounds for this role?
1: Yeah. He, like, got really scrawny and pasty. <laughs> yeah.
0: The scene where, where like, he's on the beach and he's wearing, like, the, like, lime green oh, bathing suit. Like, he stands out like a sore throat, not just because he's, like, pasty, but, like, no one else is wearing that color bathing suit. Yeah.
3: (laughs) It's
4: it's type color. (laughs) Which
0: which makes me think, like, did he wear that bathing suit because it would be noticeable in a crowd? He was supposed to get the attention of Dickie. Well, why not wear something that no one else is wearing in this scenario? I
1: don't
4: remember (laughs) him.
2: That's so funny. That leads me to a question I have watching it this time through. is like, is his name actually Tom Ripley? Because uh, we're introduced to him where he's playing
0: a role. Like, he's not actually himself when we're introduced to him. Well, Philip Baker Hall is the private detective at the end. He's like, there is a Tom Ripley at Princeton, the piano tuner. And that's how we're sort of introduced to his character. He's, like, tuning the piano at the beginning. So, like, yes and no. Like, he could have assumed a different, you know, persona. But, like, we are introduced to Matt Damon as someone who can play piano at a school. Like, whether or not he's the piano tuner, we don't know. But Yeah, I uh, think
1: it, it wants you to believe that it's him. And, like, he just... I, I feel like he was tuning that piano or whatever and, like, met the guy he and needed a replacement. And, like, he just... He was probably just doing it for, like, a gig. Like, mm-hmm. for money. I don't think at that point, like, in the opening of the movie, he's quite murderous just yet. Yeah. Like, I think he's just like trying to get by. He's that good bull hunting character. <laughs> <laughs> yeah.
0: This brings me to like my main like theme of the movie. So this is, this is based on a novel, mm-hmm. uh, Patricia Highsmith. Heism- yeah. Uh, she also wrote Carol.
1: In
4: Strangers
0: which, on a Train. I not stranger. I, oh, I forgot about oh, that. Wow. She wrote Strangers on a Train. Fuck. I forgot about that. Um, but so much of the movie when Tom, is going to be found out. Like when the, when, when his, when the duality is about to like, uh, uh, collide, it reminded me so much of me being in the closet and the two worlds colliding. Mm -hmm. Like when someone knows that I'm out is about to meet someone from my closeted life. And every time like the Tom Dickey lives are going to collide or, or have the potential to collide, I got the, a tenseness in my chest, like I did when I was closeted. That's what I think is really what is at the heart of his duality. It's not that like one half of him is a murderer, one half of him is a socialite. It's that one half of him is closeted and the other half isn't. Mm-hmm. Yeah, and the tension that, like at the opera, you know that that's a yeah. really good instance. It's like the tension that he feels. And that I feel while watching him at the opera, I was like, oh, this is like being in the closet. Like you go out on a date, like, you know, me, Matt Fisher goes out on a date with a man and I run into someone that doesn't know about my sexuality and suddenly you have to play straight again. Tom!
2: March, how are you? What, what, what are you
4: doing in Rome?
0: Put on your glasses and like walk with a different posture or with a different affectation. And that's what I read. Every time, like, the the Dickie-Tom worlds had to collide, I just read it as, like, this is, like, being in the closet versus not being in the closet.
3: Mm-hmm. That's a really cool read. And that, that actually makes me sort of, like, more interested in it. And it makes me wonder, because, I mean, I haven't read... Patricia Highsmith's original, like, pulp that this is based on. But it does, like, it ends differently. And in in a way that I would have liked better, it ends with him escaping to Athens. And, like, everybody buys it that, like, he did, you know, that that Dickie committed suicide. And he kind of lives out his days, like, worrying that he's going to get found out like he's always like paranoid and like looking over his shoulder Well, there's a it's a series of books
0: they, but, they made a movie out of ripley's game that yeah was, uh john malkovich which i saw and is not great
1: but, um, <laughs> i remember watching it because it, i knew it as a sequel to this right and yeah I watched that's why it i watched it too and yeah. then i didn't like it enough to even finish it
0: <laughs> yeah yeah no it, it was pretty unremarkable but Patricia Highsmith, is she a lesbian? Like, I don't know. She is, yeah. So she is a
3: lesbian, and, like, so she wrote, I think it's called The Price of Salt, which Mm -hmm. is what Carol is based on. And um, Phyllis Nagy adapted that. So she's a queer woman who knew Patricia Highsmith, you know, that obviously Todd Haynes directed, who's a queer man. So I think, like, it's also, like, an interesting conversation. So I, um, I volunteer for an LGBTQ archive, and we've talked a lot about especially like lesbian and queer pulp novels and how that like they were written for the masses so that queer people could write things and get paid for them. But they were often written in ways that were coded using coded language or very subtle characteristics so that if you were queer and you read one, you would get a sense of seeing a character that felt like you. And so my understanding is that in the book, Tom is not like as openly gay as he is in the movie like it's a much more subtle representation it becomes more about like him as a person murdering people and less about his obsession with other men that like results in his killing of people and like the character of peter i don't even think he's in the book you know he runs with i thought you said you hadn't read it well, no, I know a lot about it. Oh. <laughs> I'm a librarian. I do my research, <laughs> um, and that makes more sense for like pulp novels of the period, right? Like they didn't, they weren't explicit about a lot of things. They were a lot more sort of subtle and elusive in the way that they do things. And so, like, the book doesn't end with him like killing his gay lover because he's too close to the, you know, he got caught one last time. It ends with him like making his escape and just like, worrying about the future. I read the ending as, like, a – because Kate
1: Blanchett's there, Mm -hmm. and he basically – because he's there with uh, Peter Peter as Tom Ripley, but Mm -hmm. she knows him as Dickie Greenleaf, and he has to choose, like, which one he's going to be, and he only has to kill one person (laughs) to maintain that illusion, so that's what he does. But he also – isn't pleased about it. Like he's crying throughout Like it's the only time one of his murders really seems to affect him at all.
3: (laughs) But that's where I think like for me, having a non-queer person direct and write the adaptation of it bothers me because I'm like, in the book, she's not there at all. And so, like, it could have been a, a more, for me anyway, a more interesting ending if it was like, you have no idea what's going to happen to these two guys. They may get to Athens, but you don't know if he's going to, like, you know, flip on this guy at some point or, like, if he's going to get caught somewhere down the line or something like that. It would leave it a little more ambiguous.
2: I 100% agree with you. I like the majority of this movie, but I think the ending is really flubbed yeah. because I don't think Peter needs to die. That just makes Tom Ripley into some kind of psychopath. And I also think that, like, it kind of blows his cover if he's killing this one person on a boat that he's been <laughs> lodging with. Like, it's somebody on the boat that killed him, guys. Like, it's a matter of time before he gets caught. Well, like, see, it just seems a, like he's
0: losing it. Too I, I, much. All right. I'm disagreeing because, A, you can dispose of a body really easily on a boat. But then he'll right. just be missing.
2: They'll find him. H- uh, but nobody knows Natalie that.
0: <laughs> no, nobody's going to no, – no one's doing a body count on a boat. Uh, Yeah, I
1: feel like no one's going to know that he's dead until he hasn't returned from his trip in several weeks. Yeah, Yeah.
0: but why I love, A, I love a depressing ending, but uh, (laughs) more importantly, this is saying to everyone, the audience, that he is willing to kill this part of him in order to succeed socially, like he's willing to kill the gay part of him in order to succeed in a social aspect,
2: but I don't think that we get any hints of that yeah. but, until
0: the end. But well, no, that's what I mean. The the very end, like he's killing Peter because to him the Dicky Greenleaf persona is more like the money and the social status is more important to him than the personal fulfillment of being Tom Ripley, which I think is a very closeted gay theme, Yeah, sure.
3: Yeah, I, I think it's interesting, though. Like, that's... And again, maybe it's like watching it now, right? Um, when I'm... You know, conversations about this kind of stuff have, like, already, like, been part of, like, the normal sort of, like, film discussion culture or something. But that, like... I read it more as, like, mm, I, I didn't see his obsession with, like, wealth. Like, I like that's not how, at least the way Matt Damon played it, that's not what I read from his performance. I read that he was obsessed with Dickie, and Dickie didn't return his affections, and so he's like, well, fuck it, I'm just gonna, like, take his life now. And he takes his whole life, essentially. I, well, I also think that
1: I don't think he meant to kill him either. I think that was completely an accident. And everything right. he does after that is a direct result of that accident. Yeah. But I don't think he went out with that day. Like,
3: no, I agree with you. I think a lot of his motivations to me feels accidental. Which right. I, well, that's what, like... Because he, like, bumbles through these like, murders. Yeah, well, like, that's what that's what yeah. they do. Yeah.
1: Like, look at any Cohen yeah. Brothers movie.
3: <laughs> well, right, right. right. Well, but he's not... I don't think he's as endearing as a well, Coen Brothers no, brother,
1: he's not. But I'm saying, character. like, that's what that, the genre, like, requires is, yeah. like this sort of accidental like now you've had to kill four people to co- keep covering your tracks and like that ratchets ratchets up the tension and, yeah. and all of that the metaphor still
2: holds that like if you're you know one lie builds on another and that's how like yeah. being in the closet could drive you crazy because yeah. you're just constantly trying to cover up for yourself so i can kind of see that i still don't think it's uh, I think you're doing a lot of work for the movie. Yeah. <laughs> no, I, no,
0: see, I, I don't think that's fair because it's like the uh, uh, Dicky Greenleaf is who he is in his closeted persona. Dicky Greenleaf is, is his public face. Tom Ripley is, is his private face, and he's willing to kill parts of his private self in order to maintain his public face.
3: I totally get what you mean. Yeah. And, like, I think that's a really interesting read of it i i think for me either the performances or the direction or the script didn't do enough to make me like see that without somebody else telling me that
0: but like i also like right at the right like right near the beginning when like i'm getting the the idea that patricia highsmith is like saying that tom ripley is you know a metaphor for being closeted i'm looking through everything in this movie like from that point on as like a metaphor for being in the closet yeah like, everything about it so like when we get to the ending to me it is like he has to make a decision does he want to be successful and closeted or does he want to have a fulfilling personal life and have to abandon that mm-hmm. you know it's like uh, you know if you have a job where you know you could potentially be fired for being gay Like, do you live out and proud, or do you stay closeted for the sake of professional fulfillment? Mm -hmm. And, like, that's the way that I saw it at the end. I mean, granted, it's to an extreme, but seeing the whole movie through the lens of, like, closeted versus non-closeted, that Patricia Highsmith, like, views being closeted as as a covert act, as something that, like, a, a persona... That you need to adopt in order to survive or to make it through an environment like it really is like a logical conclusion like this is like a a real climax in those two struggles
1: yeah especially during her time it was like to be queer was a rebellious act oh yeah um so that makes sense i love that read i think maybe that's even why because when i was watching i like i said i watched it when I was 18, I wasn't out to my family yet. I was out to my friends, but um, I was living that sort of dual life. And to sort of uh, psychoanalyze myself 20 years later, I'm like, (laughs) I can see that, like, I can see myself relating to that sort of subconsciously.
3: Well, and that's why I think, like, honestly, like I, I do think part of my read is like, again, coming at this, having seen it in full for the first time in 2019, because like, I think to an extent, we've come to expect different, portrayals of our queer characters and films we know it's not a great thing to have your queer characters be creeps and psycho murderers and uh either commit suicide at the end or murder murder another gay person at the end those are sort of like no-nos of queer yeah. cinema at this point but also like i came out when i was 17 so that was a really long time ago it was almost 20 years ago so i am so far removed from that experience at the time of watching it for the first time right. i wonder if my read would have been very similar to both of yours if i'd watched it sort of around that period of time
2: i think i have less of a problem of uh, matt damon being a queer character who kills people as matt damon being a redhead that kills people. <laughs> <laughs> I felt very singled out <laughs> and uh, You felt attacked
4: personally <laughs> felt
2: Very pro and and it's you know made even worse by the fact that he has a great haircut in this movie that yeah, I was never been... able to pull off. You tried good many hair. times. Yeah, good hair in this movie. But uh yeah, it hurt a little bit. It hurt a little bit having him be a redhead. All right. The four of
0: us. Uh, Matt Damon, hit it or quit it. In this movie? In this movie. Hit
1: it for sure.
3: Oh, I might quit it. Like, he's not <gasps> my type at all. I was in love with Matt Damon. I, I was think that's a
0: lot so too. Wait, James, what's your type? I'm feeling insulted all the time. sudden.
3: <laughs> <laughs> I, well, you know what? Okay, so if I was going to pick somebody in this movie, oddly enough, it probably wouldn't even have been... You're going to bang Kate Blanchett,
4: aren't you? <laughs> I
3: mean, I would. T- I still would. Still would. Um, no, probably uh, Jack Davenport, who plays Peter... Like, he's the, like, adorable, like, nerd. <laughs> what? I know. No. I just find him so much more attractive. No. No. Like, in or... No. <laughs> Jude Law. I mean, like, Jude Law's beautiful. Matt he's Damon. Beautiful.
1: And if we're doing just the men, right? Yeah. Like. Yeah. And then... And then Philip Baker Hall. <laughs> Philip Baker Hall. And then Philip Seymour Hoffman. Uh-huh. And okay. then the detective with the mustache.
3: I would fuck the des- detective way before I'd fucking either... Uh,
0: that's true. That detective... Yeah, that detective was all right. That
3: mustache was fantastic. It was a good mustache. I look forward to our next meeting. Hmm? When I will be more careful with my English. I mean,
0: Jude Law's super hot, but he's also the type that, like, you know... Is expecting it like yeah. he feels like he deserves it like you know i don't want to fuck that guy yeah.
1: well he's also done, done two different movies where other attractive men try to take over his identity in his life this and gattaca <laughs> oh that's right oh yeah 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 around the same time yeah like within a year or so of each other yeah gattaca i think
2: it
0: was 98 or something yeah, yeah.
2: hold on Could we rewind for a second matt you're you are a person who has been On this podcast saying that like uh, attitude doesn't matter one bit. It's all about just like physicality when we're playing this hit it or quit it game. So suddenly you're
0: saying that you don't want to hit Jude Law because he's expecting it. I'm not saying that I wouldn't hit it. No, no, no. I would still hit it, but I just don't think that the sex would be as good. He looks like one of the bottoms that just lays there. You know how it is. Good looking people feel like they're entitled to it. Like they'll just lay there. You know, sometimes like the best lays are like the people who are a little bit below average because they want to win it. Like, all right, fair enough. I was just I just wanted to clarify. No, I I would I would one hundred percent hit Jude Law. Like, like if we were to compare, who would be a better lay? Like Matt Damon or Jude Law? I think Matt Damon would be a. Better lay because he'd like work
1: for it. <laughs> uh, yeah, he's
0: clearly makes, got something to prove. Makes in love movie. like yeah.
3: an ugly girl. It's so great.
1: <laughs> yeah. So present so thankful. <laughs> oh my god. He's but, like
2: ripped in this movie. He is. Matt Damon.
1: Yeah. The
0: fact that he lost thirty pounds, I don't know where he had thirty pounds to begin with. I remember Goodwill Hunting. Yeah.
1: Like, where did it go? He doesn't look that much different. I don't think in my memory is I right now remembering good Will hunting and remembering this. So all
0: right, are you guys familiar with uh, the soft butch concept?
3: <laughs> it's hardly familiar heard of it. I I've don't heard, heard it, know yeah. What it is,
0: though. <laughs> have you guys ever seen like a lesbian you're like, "Oh, that guy is really cute." Oh, for sure. Yeah. Yeah. yeah, yeah. yeah that's soft butch. <laughs> okay. I think I think Matt Damon has hard fem. Oh, yeah. <laughs> yeah. 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 For he, sure. he looks he looks like Hillary Swank, and boys don't cry.
3: <laughs> and I am into it. <laughs> yeah, I'm totally there
0: for it. 100% there for it.
3: <laughs> yeah, well, I don't know what it is about Jack Party. I've always thought he was really handsome, and like I think he just has like in this movie he's got this like like room with a view esque sort of like era, like sweet nice guy look with a handsome Um, face
2: i actually like had some fifis for him this time around and i think it's because maybe i was kind of rooting for him to win to get over yeah and like just because he is so sweet and he's like dtf like oh yeah i thought you
0: were going to
4: venice what happened with that i you were desperate to come I was rather looking forward to rowing you around.
2: He's like not being subtle at all. Oh, I love it. I mean, I'm kind of into
0: a character who's, you know, totally up for it. Yeah. So last night while I was watching this, uh my dog was like, "I got to go to the bathroom." So I was like, "Okay, you can't wait the like 20 minutes till the movie's fucking over." <laughs> uh And I'm walking out, going, you know, down, I live in an apartment, so like, I I can hear the neighbors, and one of my neighbors was listening to an episode of Seinfeld. (laughs) And it was an episode that actually had Philip Baker Hall in it.
1: The library policeman.
0: Yes, he plays a library detective in Seinfeld. Uh, uh, Detective Bookman is his character's name. You
1: know that little stamp? The one that says New York Public Library? Well, that may not mean anything to you, but that means a lot to me. One whole hell of a lot.
0: He gives this, like, hard-boiled noir detective speech in it's it to so Jerry. It's and I'm like, a- oh, that's funny. And, like, you know, walk the dog, you know, she pees, we come back in, and I finish the movie. But then it's like, I come in, and Philip Baker Hall is in this <laughs> movie, and he's playing, like, essentially the same part, <laughs> just with more serious dialogue.
2: I don't care for BS. I don't care to hear it. I don't care to speak it. What was the what was the line he says? In America, we are
3: taught to check a fact before it becomes a fact. Not so anymore.
4: <laughs> I know, I heard yeah. that he was like,
1: if only. Yeah. Uh, God. No, I love him in this in his weird little cameo, I guess. But yeah. Yeah. <laughs> Bookman.
2: <laughs> I thought you were gonna bring up the episode where Elaine hates the English patient because this is
1: directed by the guy yeah, who yeah. did the English <laughs> <laughs> patient. Oh yeah, uh, Elaine, you don't like the movie? I
4: hate
0: it. When I was younger, I I remember this came this movie came out like in my prime like television watching days. But I remember the TV spot for this movie very clearly. Like there's a scene where like they get on the mopeds like when did the Paltra, Matt Damon. And, like, they drive off into, like, Las Spiaga or whatever, and, like, the, the pigeons fly away. Oh, yeah. Yeah. Like, I remember that from the TV spot so vividly because I saw the TV spot for this a million times. Sure. But I had zero interest in watching it when it, let's see, so this was 99. Yeah. I would have been 14 at the time. Um, they didn't make it seem very gay. No. They didn't make it seem very gay. I thought it was just, like, Dad movie. Like, I thought this was like <laughs> the English Patient or like the Thomas Crown Affair or something. I was like, oh yeah, this is something like you know my stepdad or my mom will want to see. Like I don't care about Just it. Beautiful yeah.
1: people gallivanting around Paris and yeah. right. Yeah. You know,
0: I only saw this because I saw the movie Purple Noon, like the French film. Oh yeah,
1: I haven't seen that actually.
0: Based, based on the I, same book. Uh, yeah, based yeah. on the same book. The lead guy in it, Alan Delon, who oh, fucking a he is. Like, I've seen him in other movies. Like, his yeah. most famous movie is probably, like, *La Samurai. Yeah. And, like, he's good looking in that, but in Purple Noon,
4: fuck. He's a sexy like, man,
0: yeah. Yeah, that is clearly his most attractive role. And, yeah, it's based on the same novel, so it, like, hits all the same plot points as this. But it's, like, French and arty, and it, it ends differently from this movie, too. And I think it ends differently from the book judging from what you've told me about how the book ends. Yeah. Highly recommended. Like, Purple Noon's a, a great movie on its own. Yeah. But, uh, yeah, I saw Purple Noon, and I was like, well, I guess it's about time I watched The Talented Mr. Ripley. And I was just, like, surprisingly pleased with Talented Mr. Ripley because I didn't know that there was gay undertones to it. Like, you couldn't tell from, like, TV spots or trailers or anything that it was going to be gay.
3: Yeah, no, I remember, like, years after it had aired, people talking about it in, like, sort of hushed tones, you know? Younger Mm -hmm. people who were not yet out about, like, Jude Law being naked in it and, like, there being gay content. And and I was like, wait, how did I miss that?
0: Yeah! (laughs) It's weird, because, like, yeah, Jude Law, he hangs dong, and you get the the lovely butt silhouette. And I'm (laughs) like, how... How did I go, you know, uh let's see at the time I would have been like 27 or 28? How did I go 28 years without hearing about like these lovely factors of this movie? <laughs>
1: That's a good question. I don't know. I don't know. Well, it's like,
0: you know, everyone was like fucking Like, melting into their iPhones at the idea that Ben Affleck might hang Dong in Gone Girl. Oh, right. And somehow I miss the fact that, like, Jude Law actually does get full frontal for this movie.
2: (laughs) I think also, like, that what Gone Girl was two thousand. 13. 12 13 yeah so you know this is uh 15 some years before that it was a different time like people weren't necessarily comfortable jumping on the internet and being like hey everybody who's into penis like there's <laughs> one in this movie of a hot guy i don't
1: know there were some chat rooms
3: that i was a part of at that time i <laughs> <laughs> thing to differ on dial up on <laughs> dial up yeah Yeah, I'm surprised that I missed that, too, because I was, like, very much in my prime phase of, like, I'm going to search out anything that has a hint of male nudity in it. There's this Jeff Bridges movie from, like, I want to say, like, the 80s, maybe? Against All Odds, in Um. 1984. Jeff Bridges is peak sexy in this movie and naked through a, a few very weirdly, like, softcore porn Sex scenes that take place in, I believe, Teotihuacan.
0: <laughs> Jeff Bridges' fall from sexiness is on par with Marlon Brando's. Yes. Like he used to be, like so indescribably sexy. Yeah. And then you see him in *The Big Lebowski*. Yeah. <laughs> and, <laughs> I don't know. I just, I this movie is hotter than. <laughs> Like, even though I was, like, alive and well when this movie came out, like, nothing, yeah, it didn't, like, trickle through social media or anything that, like, how gay the movie was or how sexual it was, like... It Like, the TV spots just made it look like, you know, sort of a heist con movie. Yeah.
1: That's what made it so great for, like, an 18-year-old in the closet living at home. I could buy it on VHS and just be like, what? It's this, like, hoity-toity movie from the director
4: of (laughs) the English (laughs) patient. And And my
1: parents, we don't want to watch that. (laughs) When in reality, I'm fast-forwarding to the bathtub scene. (laughs) Yeah. Yeah. As I remember,
2: the TV spot made it seem like there was a lot more to do with Gwyneth Paltrow. And she's really a... Very small supporting character. Yeah,
1: yeah. I actually really like her performance in this. This is probably I, my favorite performance.
0: Yeah, yeah, no, yeah, She's good. I, I think we should shine a light on the on the, like the casting director or whoever got these people in because I think Matt Damon's very good. I think Jude Law is impeccable. Yeah, and Incredible. this is before Gwyneth Paltrow was like an obnoxious boozy <laughs> lifestyle consultant.
2: Yeah, she was still an Academy Award winner at this point. <laughs> but, uh, I
4: don't think she wanted she to win- later.
2: No, no, she won it for Shakespeare and Love in '95. Oh, oh, you're 95. right. You're right. Against Kate Blanchett, who should have won for oh, Elizabeth. Yep. Oh, oh, I yes, was going to say one of the great Kate, indignities.
0: Kate Blanchett, like, I don't want to infer that she doesn't look immaculate now, but she looks so youthful here. She does. It, it like, it kind of shook me up a little bit. <laughs> she looks like a little girl. She Tell does. Us. She, she looks kind of like you know an old teenager like 19 or 20 or something and i don't know it kind of it threw me off guard i was like oh she looks so young
2: i like her character too because she's kind of shitty too like oh, she yeah. has that line where she's like
0: if you've had money your entire life even if you despise it which we do agreed, you're, you're only truly comfortable around other people who have it and despise it
1: uh correction she won her oscar in 1999 oh
3: a okay. well but well but shakespeare in love was 98 so she won it oh. in 94 for right. So. right so
1: right right thank you she would have shot this probably
3: probably before before be around or the, the very time news, like right after but if this came out afterwards you better believe the marketing included academy award winning. <laughs> oh, of course <laughs> um yeah i
0: mean when did Kate blanchett win her first or only
3: Oh, she went for Blue Jasmine and for Carol.
0: No, for uh, The Aviator. The Aviator, thank you. Uh, Oh, right. When
3: when she played Cat Hepburn. Yeah, uh Which is an eerie performance. It's so, like, she nails Catherine Hepburn.
0: Like, I love that movie and her especially in it. Yeah. Yeah, she's fantastic in that movie.
3: But I kept wondering while watching this, I'm like, I wonder how this would have read, and it may not have been as good, if Cate Blanchett and Gwyneth Paltrow swapped roles, like, because Kate Blanchett mm. can do a lot of really heavy lifting and add a lot of nuance to stuff, and, but I don't actually know that it would have been better, you know? No, I don't think that, well,
1: one of the notes that I wrote down was, uh, Cate Blanchett does the most with the least Yeah,
4: <laughs> Yeah. Right, right, right. Um,
1: Yeah. Because they don't give her much to do, but she kills it yeah. and she's captivating in every scene. Yeah. Okay. According to the trivia page on the Internet Movie Database, uh, <laughs> Anthony Mangella expanded her role when he cast Kate Blanchett to, to give her more to do.
0: Gwyneth Paltrow, like, there are times when I am impressed with her acting. It's just, sometimes I feel like she rests on her laurels a lot. Oh, for yeah. sure. Because, like, honestly, like, this is gonna sound stupid but bear with me in in iron man 3 like when like she has to like be the hero and like be like the iron man for a little while she actually does it really well and there's like a scene where like it's like she's overheating or lava or molten metals being poured on her and she like shirks it off and like she's really good in it i feel like when gwyneth paltrow Takes risks. She's very good.
3: Yeah, I do actually think as Pepper Potts, she's like she's really good. And it's a small role. Yeah, but she makes the most of her time in the role,
0: especially in in the first one when she's like, you know, my job is to like help Tony Stark with like his day to day activities and occasionally taking out the trash. Yes. Yeah, and like she says that to like his hookup, and I'm like, oh, that's good. Like yeah. that's yeah. that's solid reading. Yeah. Uh, I just I just feel like Gwyneth Paltrow plays it safe a little too often. Like. She's like, I want to make an album, and I want to be on Glee, and like, okay, no one cares about any of this. Yeah. But like, when she's like cast against type, I think she actually does very good. It's just that's so rare.
4: Mm-hmm.
0: Well, and speaking to
2: what you were saying how, about flipping roles, like, I think that she's more of the tradition beauty. Yeah. Between mm-hmm. the two of them, like mm-hmm. Kate Blanchett, I think is a beautiful woman, but she doesn't oh. have uh, traditionally beautiful features. And so it makes more sense for her to be sort of the one who comes in and is like on the side and not really the one that anybody's really in love with kind of thing. Whereas like you could maybe s- understand Jude Law falling in love with the more traditionally beautiful
3: Gwyneth Paltrow. Yeah, I agree yeah. with that. That's an interesting way to put it because I was like I always think of Kate Blanchett as being like stunningly gorgeous and like having an I mean, she has an out, outrageous sense of fashion. She can wear clothes so well. Oh my god. Even
0: in this movie, yeah, yeah. Like, first, oh, yeah. the fashion designer must have had a field day with
3: her. <laughs> they were like, "Oh, you can walk, you can wear it well, you can wear it with confidence, like, you know, it's amazing." But you're right. I think like I find Kate Blanchett to be much more attractive than Gwyneth Paltrow but I think that's I think you're absolutely right that Gwyneth Paltrow is much more traditionally beautiful.
2: Kate Blanchett has a very interesting face. Yeah. yeah but I, I don't know so, if I yeah. would always call it beautiful. I think she's beautiful but I I don't know if everybody else would necessarily agree with that. Uh, yeah, I mean
3: I agree with you yeah. If
0: gay men dated straight women, like you might hear all sorts of things about uh Kate Blanchett's lovers, but it's like Gwyneth Paltrow's dated Brad Pitt and Chris Martin, who you know, back in the day, Chris Martin was you know, objectively handsome at least, you know, but like Gwyneth Paltrow used to be attached to like you know, very like uh, top shelf, well known, attractive,
2: traditionally beautiful men, yeah,
0: yeah. where like I can't think of one person that's dated Kate Blanchett. But, yeah, watching her in here, I'm like, uh, she looks like a child. Like, she looks like a baby here.
4: They
2: all do. They we do, honestly, yes! They all do. I know. They look very young.
0: Yeah, it's weird to think that, like, every single, like, main player in this is still, like, an A-list celebrity. Yeah. Yeah. 20 years on. Yeah. You know, like, arguably like, Matt Damon is or now, I guess Jude Law is probably like the lowest on the ladder. But even he is still like a top tier. He's playing
2: Dumbledore.
1: <laughs> That's right. <laughs> he hasn't really. Other than that, like he hasn't really done much lately, though, has he? I don't even know. No. I can't think of yeah. him in lately.
3: I don't think he's been in a lot.
0: But, like, even then, it, it's not like he's, like, Freddie Pitt Jr. or something, where he's on <laughs> nothing. <laughs> yeah, you know,
1: Freddie like, Pitch Jr. is not getting cast in Harry Potter movies. No,
0: no exactly. <laughs> like, you know, all four of, like, the leads in this movie are still, like, very castable, very, like, bankable stars. Well, for sure. And I don't know, it, it feels weird to think that, like, a movie that's 20 years old that these are all still very bankable stars. That just goes back to, like, you know, whoever casted this movie should get a lot of credit sure. for, like, seeing talent. You know, I, I don't think that Matt Damon really has any, like, menace in his being. Like, yeah. it's hard for me to think of him as a villain. He, he seems a little too nice for that, even when he's trying to be mean. Yeah. But whoever casted the movie, like, saw the potential in all these actors...
1: He does a really good job of playing pathetic.
3: Yes, he like really does. Like, he's so yeah. pathetic. Yeah.
1: In those, like, in the scenes when he's, like, lying to Marge. One day I'm invited skiing. Next day I'm not. One day we're one family, and the next day he wants to be alone. You tell me. He does a really good job of playing that sad kind of loser cast puppy dog. Yeah.
0: When him and Dickie Jude law were out on the boat and like, they're having like their breakup scene and Jude law (laughs) saying like, you're, you bore me like you're boring. Like, you know, up until that point, I'm like, you know, this movie's kind of slow. Like it's over two hours, you know, and it really takes its time, but it gets to that scene. I'm like, you know what? I think it needed to take its time because I needed to feel how betrayed tom ripley feels and i do like like it does take its time and i am a little bored at sometimes in like the 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 first third of the movie but then we get to the breakup scene i'm like no it all makes sense it all adds up and we needed to to have time to sympathize with tom because i do like in in that scene like on the boat while they're like out in the water i'm like no, like, I, I'm i welling up with, like, that, like, rage that, like, you only feel during a breakup. Ugh. Dickie's such a dick in that part, <laughs> too, where he's like, You can be a leech. You know that.
3: And it's boring. You can be quite boring. You
1: need all of that that stuff early on when he kind of... I mean, even the scene where he's like holding the records and he's like trying to like let it drop, but like be coy yeah. about it, like he's inserting himself into their into their lives, mm-hmm. and you need to see him also kind of going to those links to win him over, also like so that when Dicky isn't confronting him, you kind of see his side too, where you're like, yeah, man, he's like <laughs> he won't leave you
0: alone,
3: yeah.
0: yeah, yeah and it's I mean, it's one of those things it's like you know sometimes like you need to like i don't want to say bore the audience but like sometimes you need to give the audience a moment to let their guard down because even though i'd seen the movie i kind of did like i'd kind of forgotten how attached tom gets to dickie and i think it took a little time for me to like just sit with these characters. Yeah. Yeah. And see their interactions and understand like, yeah, I get why Dickie thinks that Tom's a leech. Like I understand that. But I also understand why Tom is like so like infatuated. Infatuated yeah. and like personally attacked by yeah. being called boring or, or 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 that he bores Dickie. And so like when it comes to that boat scene, like you know, obviously, I don't think that Di- Tom should have killed Dicky, but I'm sort of there with him. Yeah,
2: yeah. One one of the strengths of this movie definitely is like it's two hours fifteen minutes. I think it earns that number one, and I think the pacing of the movie is really good. Like for a two hour fifteen minute movie, it earns it, and I I'm okay. I go along with it. I'm with the story the whole way. Like I I'm I, it.
0: I feel it's it's sometimes a little herky jerky, maybe like in an attempt to like match acts up with chapters out of the book and like when you're reading a book like it can take you a little while to get to the end of a chapter yeah and like when that translates to a movie like a whole chapter might just be five minutes on screen and so there are sometimes i'm like i feel like this like this five minute sequence in a movie was a whole chapter in a book Mm -hmm. so there's a there's a little bit of herky-jerky pacing to me but Uh, overall, like, in the end, I I enjoyed this movie a lot more this time around, but I think it's just because I was a lot more on board with what Patricia Highsmith had
4: envisioned. (laughs)
0: Brian, what do we got coming up next week? Next week, we've got a very special guest.
2: Yeah? Yeah. She's one of our favorite guests. She's been on twice before.
0: Judy Garland. Mm, Close. close. Liza Minnelli. Mm, Even closer. Jessica Walter. Oh, my God. You're one (laughs) word away. Jessica
2: Walter. Oh, God. (laughs) It's Jessica Baxter. Oh, We're going to be talking about a movie that she recommended on Facebook called Womb.
0: Oh, yeah. I watched it because she talked about it on Facebook. Yeah? Yeah. Yeah. What did you think? Don't tell me. I'm reserving until next week. Save it for next week. I'm reserving. Hey, thank you guys for coming on. Yeah, absolutely. Um, Of course. Thanks for having us. No, this was like legit a lot of fun. For sure. Yeah, definitely. I had a blast plug your junk what what, uh, what are your what's your podcast tell us about yourselves
1: you can find us on a uh, piece of pie pod on instagram and twitter and facebook I am so Brian Rowe. That's Brian with an I,
3: R O W E on Twitter and Instagram. And you guys can find me uh, at Sonic Alligator on uh, Instagram and on Twitter. It's at Sonic Alligator T O U R because I couldn't get the one that I wanted. <laughs> um, but yeah, no, I mean our podcast. Uh, you know, if your listeners aren't familiar with it, uh, come check it out. We usually compare two films uh, together or a um,
1: whole series of films sometimes. Yes,
3: yes, we just. Uh, we just wrapped talking about the entire X Men film saga. Um. I, I,
0: I listened to like part one, where you did like you know X one, two, and three, yeah. and it was it was very good. Thank I you. like that that may be my favorite episode of your guys's podcast. Oh well, thank, well, thank you. you so much.
1: The sound <laughs> quality say. in the second one is not going to be as good. <laughs>
2: <laughs> we need to plug our junk and get out. Oh yeah here. yeah yeah. We're on Twitter at X Rated Movies we're on facebook at rated x movies
0: we're we're on uh,
2: gmail at x.rated.movies at gmail.com and you can also uh give us a review on apple podcasts and give us five stars we'd love that thank you very much leave us love match it up anyway
4: Uh, this was a lot
1: of fun yeah thank you brian and james
2: for coming on this was a lot of fun yeah Yeah. we loved having you on and you picked a great movie by the way i'm glad you liked it yeah yeah
0: Yeah. no like watching it last night i was like oh i can talk about this for hours and hours and hours easy (laughs)
1: talker and Um, we did
0: (laughs) (laughs) well until
2: we are on your podcast keep reaching for that rainbow